0: How are you doing? My name is Christopher Brown, host of the podcast Sports Talk with Chris, and you're now tuning in to my newest episode. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and have a great day. What's up, everybody? You're now tuning in to another episode of Sports Talk with Chris. Today, I have a special guest with me here. My guy, Jesse, man. How you doing? I'm doing good. How you doing, Chris? Man, I'm doing wonderful. Let the audience know where they can find you at. Uh, you can find me at Jesse Larch
1: on Twitter, J-E-S-S-E-L-A-R-C-H. Or you can follow the podcast I host with Brandon after called Garbage Into Gold. That's at Garbage Into Gold. So pretty easy to find us there. Um, I mean, off season we're trying to get out content regularly during the season. You can hear from us pretty much every week. So, yeah, that's what we're up to.
0: Glad to hear. Glad to hear. Man, it's always good talking sports. We're the Philadelphia sports fan, <laughs> that's the best yeah, it's, time it, it's
1: sports. a certain type of person to understand it. Uh, oh, yeah. people that people from other places kind of I've talked to some people I know that when I was in college or other places that they kind of look at sports as like you know, why can't everyone get along?
0: Like when it's Philly, sports is a whole <laughs> different type of thing. They really have no idea how it goes down in Philly, man. No, nah, not at all. Well, I'm glad you were able to join me, so let's get right into it. Let's talk about our Sixers, man. What do you what in your mind, what happened against the Hawks?
1: I think part of it was i mean I think I think Trey Young was hot. I think he was out of his mind. I think the sixers kind of slept on them a little bit, gave them a little didn't give them enough credit for getting to where they got to um i I think we're running down into these Danny Green comments, but that's one of the <laughs> things he said too, is that you know he said that he thinks the Sixers kind of slept on the Hawks a little bit. I think a big part of it was Nate McMillan. Like, when the Pacers fired him last year, I had no idea why they would do that because I felt like he was overachieving with that roster in Indiana. And he goes to Atlanta and he just does it again. He brought Atlanta to a whole new level. You know, as much as I love Lloyd Pierce, once he went out of there and Nate McMillan took the reins, it was a whole different team. And I think people at them as the team that got hot ahead of the playoffs and didn't look at them as this is who this team is. And I think we found out that that is who the Hawks are. They are a good basketball team. Um, I mean, Trey Young obviously spearheaded it, but, you know, they they were hurting us all over the place. I mean, they played as a team. They understood their roles. You know, nobody tried to do more than they were supposed to. I think, I mean, they deserve to beat the Sixers. I don't think the Sixers got screwed in any way or got cheated out of a you're win. Right
0: on, you're right on that one. Like,
1: I think, the, I think the Hawks did beat them in seven games. I I can't really complain about anything. Like, you could point at officiating or whatever, but officiating was bad both ways. Like, you know, at the end of the day, the Sixers didn't take advantage when they could have, and that's on them to blame. The Hawks did what they were supposed to do.
0: That is definitely right. The Hawks took care of business. I mean, you know, when game one, I, I think there's no such thing as a morale victory in the playoffs, but if I did believe in it, I would kind of consider it to be game one because in the second half, we did dominate that game. And, I mean, I look at Trey Young. Like, he he put up good numbers, you know, 29 and 10, but he shot 39% from the field and 32% from the three-point line. So, we made life difficult for him. The problem with me is we just let everybody else eat. You know, you see Godinari doing this thing. You see McDonough is doing this thing. You see uh, Kevin Hubert doing this thing. Everybody is able to come in and do their role perfectly. Then, when I look at us, it's just like we had no consistent play coming off the bench. You know, I felt like everybody really didn't understand their role outside of Embiid and Curry because Tobias Harris is getting paid $37 million to look like a fourth option. you know, man, this guy, Ben Simmons, man, put up less fourth quarter shots than total games played here in the series. I'm with you on, we deserve to lose to the Hawks. I don't understand why they downplay how talented the Hawks were. I knew how good they were beginning of the year, and I knew coaching would be an issue as soon as they signed Nate McMillan. I knew he was going to take over, and then... When he did take over, they were able to be one of the best teams, you know, since he took over the, you know, head coaching role. And like you said, man, they deserved to beat us because we had, we had no energy. Lacks of days is cool. And the sad thing is we we dominated four out of the first five games and lost three. Yeah. <laughs> That's bad. Yeah, they they sat on their heels. Like, once they
1: got out to those leads, they figured the game was over and the Hawks weren't going to keep coming. I mean, give credit to the Hawks for keeping their head up. Yes. But – I mean, at the end of the day, like if you're gonna to be top dog, if you're gonna say how we're the one seed, like you gotta act like it, you gotta put your foot on their throat when it comes time to, and the sixers just never did that they they tried to there's really like you know watching them beat a dead horse because as much credit as I gave Doc Rivers early in the regular season for that being his difference from Brett Brown is showing that he can adapt on the fly, and he isn't afraid to break off from his rotation when someone's cold and things like that. He never seemed to really adapt. Like every second hit, they they ran the same offense all game long. Yes, the Hawks would change it up, come at us a different way, and then Doc had no plan B. Yeah, his adjustments, and, uh, his adjustments were bad. You know, people were trying to point out like they didn't have a deep enough bench, this, that, the other. It's like, I mean, I don't think the bench was really a problem. Uh, don't get me wrong; I'm not saying the bench was good, but I'm saying yeah. like I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to throw it all away and say, oh, we just need a better bench and we're right back there because I don't
2: think that fixes
0: anything. I'm with you on that, and it does not. Because as much as i want to give the bench, you know, it was times, you know, Shake would have a good game, even though that good game, everybody was so surprised, but I laughed because that was his season averages. And, you know, Tyrese Maxey would do his thing, and Dwight Howard is Dwight Howard. But I'm with you on I don't really blame the bench because I feel like they were put, and this is why, you know, I give Dot more blame than anybody. I feel like they were put sometimes. And where positions, and they played sometimes more than they should have, or sometimes they got snatched too quick. I feel like if the bench would have had consistent minutes and consistent roles, I don't think it'd be that much of a problem. You know, Ty was going to do what he does. You know, he may not score, but he's going to give you a lot, a lot of impact when that defense. Runs. Yeah, I I didn't get
1: it from the jump. Like going into the playoffs, a, a big topic like for the three or four weeks ahead of the playoffs that we mm-hmm. kept talking about on our show was what's the rotation going to be. Yes and Doc kept maintaining that it wasn't going to be any different from the regular season and like I was like I hope that's just like lip service and he's just trying <laughs> not to he's, not, he's just trying not to show his hand ahead of the playoffs and then we got to the playoffs and lo and behold the starters are still playing 35 36 minutes instead of playing 40 uh, and know, like you're playing 10 11 man deep bench like like, you're never going to get all the way with that. Unless you have a ridiculous bench, you're never going to get all the way with that. And no
0: contender has a bench like that. Exactly. No, yeah, you're right on that. No real contender has a bench like that. And they, if they do, it's veterans, you know, guys that know their role. Like, when the Lakers winning team, you, you had Rondo coming off the bench. He knows his role. He was able to do his thing. But for us, I feel like nobody was really, really consistent. Now I'm with you on, you know, I look at the final scores, and Tobias is, is only playing 37, 36 minutes. Tobias needs to play more than that. If if Doc out his mouth was calling him the closer, Tobias needs to play closer minutes. And B, I understand when Tim with the to torn meniscus, but I still would like them to see, you know, 38 to 40 minutes. You know, but it's just, I'm with you. I, I don't understand why the Sixers starters played less than 40 minutes. It really hurt us. Again, they wanted the number one seed so bad, they bragged about it all year. And just to lose three, and we lost three, it, this blows my mind. Three of the games, we lost we're at home. Yeah, see. especially for the rep that the Sixers have held for, what,
1: the last four or five years? Yes. The best home team in the NBA. And it's like, you just let all that go away. It's it's honestly like, there's so much blame to go around that like, mm-hmm. that's kind of where I kind of bite my tongue on when people are going as hard as they are after Ben right now. Like, uh-huh. don't get me wrong. Ben has blamed to shoulder. He but, definitely does. But, like, they're trying to put it all on him. And it's like, there's a lot of things that needed to be improved for this team to get where they want to go. I mean, I think, like, no one wants to say it because Embiid's the golden boy. Like, Embiid has a lot of growing to do still.
0: That is true. Even though how dominant he was, it's still certain parts of his games that if he improves, it's going to take him to the next level. Late in games, he's a
1: liability more than an asset. Also, like, I mean, the turnovers for one, but the way he's geared the player, he's so geared – to this modern style of play where it's mm-hmm. like he's he's programmed to get to the foul line
2: mm-hmm.
1: right he doesn't understand like and, and part of it's because he's so new to the game but yes I've been giving him he's so new to the game for like the last three or four years and doing no like like you're in the NBA like you gotta you gotta learn on the fly mm-hmm. and you've he's made enough of these mistakes over and over that's like all right at some point you gotta stop making them and for me, the big ones are the turnovers. I mean, he had eight turnovers in game six,
0: eight in game seven. Like, Yes, that's bad. Those those were game-deciding things. Especially that last one I remember we gave him. It was like a, it looked like a pin down at first for Embiid, and then he goes, drives, them, does some move, and he loses the ball. My mind, I'm thinking, I, I know how talented he is, and like you said, like this new style of basketball. But at the end of the day, how big he is, how strong he is, how great he is on a low post. Sometimes I get upset when he tries to draw – uh, draw those foul calls because it's like they're going to give it to you sometimes, but lane game, they might not because they're going to look at you and say be dominant like they do with everybody else. And especially if you're just – it's obviously that he's going for those foul calls. He's not even looking to score. He's looking to get fouled. And so I feel like, you know, that that hurts me more than anything. The turnovers, like you said, and him not showing his dominance, especially in the late quarters. is like sometimes he does. Sometimes he falls in love with the jumper. But I just want to see him in the low post, everybody clear out and let the big man dominate. Well that's
1: exactly what my next thing I was gonna say about him mm-hmm. was is like it's when he you know, he takes two dribbles in, tries to put a shoulder on you, then hit the dark fadeaway. It's like oh, man. but he's not even like shooting at the rim, he's just like throwing the ball up, mm-hmm. hoping that you're reaching in when he goes up with the shot. Mm-hmm. And you're doing that in the fourth quarter and it's just a turnover, like like it's it hasn't worked for him for two, three years now. I and mean, he keeps trying to get it to go. You know, it's and I'm with you, like, all right, you're seven foot two, you're almost 300 pounds. Just put your shoulder into somebody and try to just dunk. Like, because someone's going to get in the way and foul you and you're going to go to the line, or you're going to get it and you're going to make the crowd get off their feet. Exactly. And he like,
0: – I'm with you on that. I'm with you.
1: So, I mean, I think, like, he, he wants to get to the foul line, which I get because that's kind of his MO. But, mm-hmm.
0: like, you got to understand, like, you ain't getting that call, so stop doing it. Exactly, and I, I'm with you. Like you gotta understand, when you're not getting the call and the calls now, you're going, going your way. Just look to score. We know you're 85, 86 percent free throw shooter, but get the guaranteed two instead of trying to, you know, force. Oh, maybe I give these two free throws, Get the guaranteed two. Make them value have a three point opportunity. And yeah, once well, he starts doing that, I, I hope it's soon because that does need to change asap.
1: And, like, don't get me wrong, I like, James Harden's my favorite player in the NBA for that Uh reason. I love that he gets to the line. And I love the way he does it and the way he, like, stresses out other defenses because then they got to put half their team on the bench. they got to empty the bench to keep up with them. Mm -hmm. So I love when Embiid's out there drawing fouls. But fourth quarter ain't the time to do it. Quarters one through three, it's tactical, right? You're trying to shorten their bench or make them go deeper into the bench, things like that. Fourth quarter, there ain't no more there ain't no more sending someone to the bench. Yeah. Like you get two fouls on someone in the first, like, yeah, they got to go sit down. Now that's an advantage. Mm-hmm. Fourth quarter, they're going to be in there until they foul out. Exactly. So it's like, it's a whole, it's he doesn't, I don't think he gets that part of it that like, all right, you're here to play now. Like the lights are on. Like, so, you know, either put up or shut up and he's, I just want to see him drop that part of his game. I mean, everybody flops in the NBA. That's no secret. Mm-hmm. But yes. like he's flopping on shot attempts. And that's, that's what's getting me. It's like, it, it's like you're saying, it's not even an attempt at the rim. It's just he's trying to make it kind of seem like a shoot in motion just to get the call. And he
0: hasn't gotten the call enough times for him to keep trying to do it. That's my thing. I agree with you 100%. Before we move on to the next topic, I just, you know, even though how dominant he was and probably would have won MVP, you know, if he played the entire year, there's still, like you said, certain things of his game he needs to fix. You know, how he plays in the fourth quarter, the turnovers. I look at another one, it's like passing out of a double team. So he got better, but sometimes, you know, because of his tunnel vision and look to score, sometimes he looks to pass, sometimes it's too late, sometimes it's too early. And those three things, I think he works on that. Even though we saw, you know, The ceiling for him, if he really wants to go further than that, he has to work on those things soon because as much as we talk about everybody else is the blame, he has some things that, even though, you know, with that Tormeniscus, he did a couple things different. You know, we might be in the finals right now.
2: Yeah, I
1: mean, that's what I'm saying. The blame can go to a bunch of different people. Um, You know, there's the obvious ones, but then, like like I said, nobody was perfect.
0: Nobody was perfect. I mean, nobody – Except for Seth Curry. Except for Seth Curry. He's the only one.
1: (laughs) Even then, he started getting exploited on defense. On defense, yeah. Um, but, like, that's that's what you take with a player like Seth. That's their game anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But it, it's been this way in the city for a couple of years where everyone's so quick to get on Ben because, you know, Ben doesn't tweet funny things and stuff like that, I feel yeah. like, Ben keeps to himself. So it's like, you know, like, if, say if say Ben's in MB shoes am sure Ben has a kid after we get knocked out and swept in the first round,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Everyone's going to be like, oh... Benny focusing on the game; he's more worried about his family. Mb gets the positive spin. Ben gets the negative one. And I feel like he's he's at Wimbledon with his girlfriend,
0: and people Mm -hmm. are dragging him for it. He just he's the easy target right now because there's like a lot of people just say we need somebody to blame. We need somebody to blame. And I feel like right now, you you know, and yes, he played terrible. Don't get me wrong; he played terrible. I I feel like at player wise, to me, he gets the most blame. But it's just like. He he doesn't deserve all the blame. I'll
2: say that. Yeah, he doesn't deserve he,
0: all. He doesn't blame.
1: put himself out there like that. Like Tobias mm-hmm. goes and he'll interact, he'll answer the questions. Yeah, like that. Ben doesn't answer anything.
0: He just stays ben, to himself.
1: Yeah, he plays the game and gets out of the building. Like, um, and I, I'm with you. Like, he deserves plenty of blame. And mm-hmm. do I have confidence that the things he said at the end of the season he's going to hold up and work on? Honestly, I d- no. I but don't. He's, he said I don't. he said it enough times in the past, and it hasn't gotten better. Mm -hmm. that now it's like, all right, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, I'm not going to get fooled again. You can come prove me wrong. I'd be happy if you do. But I'm not taking him at his word on this one, so I get that part of it. But, like, Mm -hmm. come on. The guy just got done playing two, three weeks ago and he can't go on a date with his girlfriend. Like, yeah,
0: I I do give him that time. I wish he would have went and played with the national team because I think, you know, that Australian team could have been very, very good. But, you know, like I said, well, if you, you know the people that follow me, I have lost all hope and faith. I've been the biggest Ben Simmons fan since he played a modern day with D'Angelo Russell. And, you know, I have my reasons on why I lost my faith. But I think that he can get to the spot where we all believe he can. I 100% do. Because I saw I saw too many times him being dominate. Everybody talks about the jumper. The first couple of years, he was shooting mid-range jumpers in the flow of the offense with no hesitation. So do I think it's all in there? Yes, I just don't have any confidence that i'll see it anytime soon but you know again you know he's not the only one deserve blame i think out of the players he deserves the most blame for me and i'm going to talk about this a little bit later the person that gets the most blame for me is doc rivers but Jeff, let's let me, let me ask you this was the season a success in your eyes no not at all i'm glad you said that <laughs> like for, for them to
1: sit there and say like oh we got the one seed like we're still it's like no like Not even like even before the season, like it was Eastern Conference Finals or bust. Once you got Mm, in the mm. playoffs, it was a ring or bust because there will never be another chance for the Sixers to get to a title as easily as they could have this year.
0: It's the second time in three years that we had. We were, in my opinion, championship favorites. Even though it was Eastern Conference Finals or bust, we had a legit shot, you know, especially this year to win a championship. And we just sold the bag. And just like like we've been talking about, to fight so hard for the first seed, to say uh, to the public how much you want the first seed, and to just lose and you know the way you did at home, three games at home, this this was far from a successful Philadelphia
1: seventy six. And my thing is, so the Nets didn't even get to the finals, so you could have had the Bucs. Who I, I'm not afraid of. I'm the not.
0: Bucks. I'm not scared of the Bucks at all. I've been saying this for a long time. I think we match up a, a hundred percent well against the Bucks. I don't they put no fear in my heart.
1: Yeah, you because, know, but they thrive on is being bigger than people and they ain't bigger than us. Nope. So that, I mean, we would have, we would have just overpowered them, I feel like, or at least been able to slow down Giannis enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that there you go, not beating the Hawks. Now you would have had a cakewalk <laughs> to the finals. And I'm a Suns fan. Like I have been for a few years. I've been yes. on the Suns watching their rebuild. Mm-hmm. But, I don't think this Suns team beats the Sixers in a seven-game series.
0: Neither do I. They, again, they put no fear in my heart. and We had opportunities to beat them in a the regular season, and we beat ourselves. And we were also hurt in those games. Exactly. We weren't healthy for any of those. Exactly. I mean, like I said, I,
1: I'm i not talking bad on the Suns. I love the Suns. I've been on the Suns for years. Me too. I, saying, I call the Suns. Yeah, I was saying, like, I like what they're doing down there, and they kept adding pieces here, a little bit here and there to get where they're at right now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But yeah, there was there was no one in the Sixers' way this year. The Nets were the only team, and when, when the Bucks knocked out the Nets, the Sixers should have. they should have been the like the bell should have went off in their head. Like, all right, we got to get there.
2: That's, I don't know. If next, I would, go
1: ahead. next, well, next year you come back. Boston's healthy. They got Horford back, and we saw mm-hmm. how he runs in that offense. Yes, you know. So now that's a different type of team. Um, the Hawks are going to be back with DeAndre Hunter with Cam Reddish next year. Mm-hmm. People forget another, about DeAndre Hunter too. Another year under their belts, they're going to be a different type of team. They're they're going to be just as good, if not better, next year.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, Nets probably be back the same. Bucks be back. Like, I'm trying to think who else in the East really. That's about it for the East. You know, Miami.
0: Miami for sure.
1: For them. Especially if all the depots stay in there. Oh yeah. Um, but then you go. To the Western Conference, Lakers are going to be healthy. And you know, mm-hmm. the Lakers are probably adding other pieces. It's just what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, Warriors get Clay back, and there's talks about them moving their first rounder and Wiseman for another big piece. Yes, So it's like Warriors are going to be back to being the Warriors. Um, you know, Portland, if they stand pat, are still going to be. I don't know if Portland's ever a real contender. I never really think of them as one, but I don't want to like dismiss them. Denver will be out there. They'll have Jamal Murray back. You know, we'll see what Utah does in the offseason. Like,
0: if they stay together.
1: This was the season where all the dominoes fell right in the Sixers' favor, Ooh. and they just they just looked a gift horse in the mouth.
0: I'm with you, man. I'm with it. it definitely was a success. Any Sixers fan that thinks it was a success, I don't believe you're a Sixers fan because, again, this is the second time in three years where we were our worst enemy. You know, even with Kawhi Leonard hitting that lucky shot, we had opportunities to win that game. If we go against the Bucks again, I've never been afraid of the Bucks, and I will never be afraid of the Bucs. Like you said, their thing is being bigger than everybody else, but they're not bigger than us because we can have a lineup out there that's bigger than theirs.
1: No, I'm watching game one against the Suns the other night. Like, if you just – if you force the Bucks to play half court, Giannis Inbeatable. is pretty much – he's pretty much useless.
0: Yeah, he's pretty much – he's honestly
1: a he, Ben Simmons. He is. He can't take anyone off the dribble. His shot's not a threat. Mm-hmm. Now, he might get a lane and force his way to get a foul call or something, mm-hmm. which is what Ben should be doing. Yes. But that's about all he can really do. And even then, he's only taken one or two from the line. Um, and if you ask me, I mean, I'm a bit of a Giannis hater. Just I'm gonna put it right <laughs> out there. Like, put it out there, man. <laughs> but I personally think, like, half of the calls Giannis gets should be offensive fouls. I don't think he's ever under control as far as his body's concerned.
0: Say the same thing. And they give Ben, if you, if you look at Ben, when he goes to be aggressive most of the time, mm-hmm. They, they, they call the offensive foul on him. When I look at Giannis doing the same thing, and I say that the MVP favoritism, it just might be. I would say Giannis
1: is more out of control than Ben is. I feel like Ben's oh, he least, is. Ben can at least keep a handle on the ball. You'll see Giannis come out. He'll be dribbling the ball up at his ears.
2: It's, and it's no like, sense.
1: Yeah, I think half of his fouls shouldn't be fouls. But, I mean, the league's going to do what it's got to do to get the money.
0: They're always going to get after that money, but... Real quick, last thing with the 76ers, how much longer is our championship window? Because Embiid, you know, he has, he has injury problems. We don't know what's going to go on with this roster. Doc has signed on for five years. You know, our two main guys are free agents in a couple of years. The league is only, only getting younger and better. So how long do you think our championship window is?
1: So I think I'm not as concerned about Embiid's injuries as a lot of people are. I think he got the bad ones out of the way. You don't like seeing him have a partial tear in his meniscus this year, but, like, if this is the regular season, he probably sits out a couple of weeks and he comes back fine. Um, I think just because it was the playoffs, he was still playing. I think he's been considerably more durable than people let on. I think there's been an abundance of caution that's got them off the floor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, anytime someone's 7'2", like, they're not going to age well. Yes. But I don't think he's – I don't think his window's closing. I think he's probably got another three, four really good years in him. And then we'll see where he's at after that. So I'm not like I'm not gun shy on Embiid. Um, It depends what happens. Honestly, Ben's the key to the whole thing. Like, yes, I love Ben Simmons. I'm rooting for Ben Simmons. I want to see him stay a Sixer. But my gut tells me, like that's that's thinking with my emotions. Like, I Ben Simmons is one of my favorite players to watch. Yeah, I really lean heavy towards defensive players and things like that. Um, but I don't think he's going to hit his ceiling in Philadelphia. I think the only way he gets to that guy you were talking about is if he gets moved somewhere. Because I think that's going to put the chip back on his shoulder or have a little bit of FU in him that he doesn't have in Philly. Like, he's almost comfortable or complacent being the second guy.
2: Yeah. A- I
1: think he might need to change the scenery to kind of, like, get that fire back in him. Mm-hmm. I don't want that to be the case, but, like, that's just me. <laughs> like I said, I want him to be a Sixer for life. but Yeah. My gut tells me that's the best thing for him and the Sixers.
0: Yeah, honestly, for me, and, you know, with that, as long as we get somebody that's equal to his level or above, like, you know, I saw the trade from Malcolm Brogdon in the first. So I think that is beneath Ben Simmons where, you know, even with all the worries he has and, you know, his bad playoff performance this is a three-time all-star you know, two-time first-team all-defense, should have won Defensive Player of the Year this year. I'm not even going to rant how I felt about that and how he got screwed out of that. But this is still a dominant player, and so we're not going to trade him for nothing. And it sucks because I, I do think he needs that chip on his shoulder. And, you know, I, I, I think this playoffs could be it, but I don't know how much, you know, is going to give him the motivation because, you know, there's a lot of excuses in baby when it comes to Ben. You know, when he had one point against the playoffs and then the playoffs against the Celtics, people would say, oh, this is rookie year. You know, he folds against the Raptors, Kawhi has that shot. They can say, oh, well, you know, we win if Kawhi doesn't make that shot. Last year, he's injured. And this year, it was really all on him. So my hope, as the Ben Simmons fan that I am, is this playoffs really wakes him up. And the Ben Simmons, I was seeing his, you know, first year, second year, that shot mid-range's comfortably i don't care about threes you know like it's nice for you to shoot a three point every now and then but i want to see you be a dominant mid-range shooter first don't just skip the mid-range and go to the three
1: but i'm i'm totally with you it's just mm-hmm. i just like don't I said, know if we're going to see it here he's he's honestly went the other
0: way on the offensive end of the floor. oh my goodness it's, it's scary it's bad like, because he dropped 42 brags about it and didn't have single digit gains but 42 and no jumper yeah. It's, it's, it's frustrating with Ben Simmons, man. And it's only frustrating with guys that have the potential to be, you know, you know, we're not as frustrated if this was just a regular player. Exactly. This dude could be, in my opinion, without no jumper, if he just had the mindset to be aggressive, I think he's a top 10 player, and I think he's arguably the best point guard in the game. Because he, I mean, if- he can average he 24 or 10 and 10. But with a jumper, I think he's all-time great. You can argue he's the best player in the game because he's the best two-way guy in the game. Honestly,
1: if he approaches the game the way Giannis approaches the game, oh my he's, probably, he's probably better than Giannis because he's, he's got t- a more ten he's times a, better than Giannis. Better handle, mm-hmm. I would say, better defender at least one on one. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and then you know, better court vision, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Like if he just. I mean, it's really—it it sounds so
0: simple. It's like, I don't know how you get the guy to start doing it, but it's mindset. I don't know if he needs to talk to a sports psychiatrist because there's nothing physical with Ben because he showed time after time he could be dominant. And I think it's all mental, and I don't know what unlocks the mental. Like you said, I don't know if it have to. I hope it doesn't have to happen somewhere outside of Philly, but you know, just speaking from a fan of Ben Simmons, once his mental is unlocked, it's going to be scary how this dude can really dominate the league. Because the, I'm not—I don't know. Especially in today's NBA, a two-way guy that is guarding one through five like Ben Simmons can.
1: Yeah, you're sounding just like of <laughs> you're sounding just like me. Every time I'm out there talking to my <laughs> friends or on my show, like that's the exact thing I use. Is there's no one else in the league that guards one through five?
0: Nobody. Let's move on though. Let's talk about another team that gives me headaches <laughs> when it comes to Philadelphia. Let's talk about the Philadelphia Eagles for a little bit. Uh What do you think the expectations for the Eagles are this season?
1: You know, on on our last episode, uh Brandon posed a question like, "What are you looking forward to at Philly Sports right now?" Mm-hmm. And his answer was that he has a season of the Eagles, but no expectations. Oh, I like. And that. I, I kind of agree with him because, like, like, there's no, and it's going to be exhausting anyway. Like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know if you're located in the city or not.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. But like just like we get Angelo and Missinelli and those guys, like they just find something to get upset about. Like old man yells at Cloud.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like,
1: they're gonna get mad no matter what. Um and they're gonna get people calling into their shows that just feed into the machine. Mm-hmm. But really, like this I mean, this year is kind of like a third like I'm going into it saying like I expect to finish last in the division.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. It's a developmental year. I wanna see Jalen Hurts show that he has a potential to be the franchise guy. Mm -hmm. And I am a big Jalen Hurts guy. I hated the pick last year. Oh, you're with me. I hated that pick. But I was standing Jalen Hurts saying he should have been a first-round quarterback ahead of the draft. Saying the same thing as me. (laughs) So, like, and my biggest thing for, like, measuring a quarterback, I always look at intangibles and how do they fare in big games? How How do they conduct themselves and things like that? There's no one that displayed more character and steered himself through more adversity really than Jalen Hurts during his mm-hmm. time between Alabama and Oklahoma. I'm with you. Um, and I mean, he got educations from not only Alabama, but then went from Lincoln Riley, like, you know, the only question on him is size, but he isn't your normal small quarterback. Like this isn't Colt McCoy. He's husky, you know? Yeah. He's a he's he's a strong a kid. Like it, it's not, I believe in Jalen Hurts. I really do. And I, I I loved Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to see him go after the way things fell out. Mm-hmm. I don't understand the people that are saying, like, well, you guys are going to be sorry when you see what Wentz does in Indy. Like, you know what? I hope he balls out in Indy because then we get a first-round pick
0: out. <laughs> I say the same <laughs> thing. I, I want him to do I, – I have a hot take about the Colts, so I'm not going to save that, you know, for another time. But I hope he balls out because I want that first-round pick. Yeah, we end up with three of them next year. Exactly.
1: Um, but like. Like I said, I I wanted Jalen Hurst to go somewhere with a chance to be the guy. So when we took him in the second round, I was like,
0: I was confused. We just we
1: just drafted him to be a backup. Like we're kind of killing his future. We're kind of not helping Wentz at all at the time. And I I still stand by that being a bad pick because it's put the Eagles too. in a really tough spot. Um, and the Eagles he just, just went lucky. from they just went from you know fringe playoff team, possible contender to being you know probably picking top five, top ten for the next couple of years.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. You know, I I mean, if you if you give me like Madden or any sports game, first thing I do is I pick a bad team and I start rebuilding. Yeah. So like I do love like I love the process because I, I like to see everything get torn down and built back up. It's just I don't know, that that whole type of development thing I enjoy being a part of and getting to watch that. So I'm excited to see how guys progress this year. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, not having the pressure that you normally have where it's like an equals loss ruins your day. Like, that ain't going to happen this year. It's I mean, yeah, I still want to beat, like, the Cowboys and the Giants and all that. But I ain't going to be going into games, like, you know, when they let me down, I ain't going to feel let down. It's like, all right, like, we weren't supposed to win this game.
0: I'm with you. I like how you said there's really no expectations. For me, I just I do want to see, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, some players that I want to see just progress. But overall, it's just, like, be competitive. You know, don't just go out there and look sorry. I do, however, think. I do think we can be better than last year and looking at the roster right now, depending on if we can add this other quarterback, I mean, corner from Pittsburgh. And I look at the division, the division of my eyes had a lot, has a lot of question marks. Daniel Jones for me is a huge question mark, even with all the weapons in Saquon, the terrible line, you know, that's bad. But I think Daniel Jones is a big question mark. So
1: I think, I think Gettleman basically he's, he's telling uh. Dave Daniel Jones to put his money where his mouth is right now. He has to. He's saying, "Look, your contract's coming up. He goes, I'm giving you everything you can possibly want." Well, wow. You know, and it's funny because everyone was ripping Gettleman his first year in New York for that draft. Uh-huh. It's like Giants have one of the best drafts this year. Yeah, they did. Their thing. They filled. They filled like every single hole they had. They did their thing. Um, and that's part of the problem too. Is like, like I'm a big Howie Out guy. I don't know where you stand oh, on.
0: That. Oh, Howie, I wonder how we gone. Um. Every single year, every day, you would hear me every episode about the Eagles. I'm just saying, please fire Howie. Please, like we were, you know, going into the offseason. I said, okay, everybody's probably going to go, but I want to see it in this order: Howie, Doug, then Wentz. I had a feeling Howie wouldn't go, but I want him going first. For me, he he has to Mm. get most of the blame. I don't understand how people don't blame him. I said this
1: to my roommate the other day. I was like, my biggest thing with the Howie thing right now is like, he does not seem like a guy that thinks he's on the hot seat.
2: Oh, man.
1: And no. that's what's bothering me is, like, because if he doesn't think he is, not he probably isn't, because him and Lurier, they You're would like, know. Yeah, they would. Like, so I think he knows he has some leash still, and it's like, you know, like getting rid of Chip gave him some time to go play. Getting mm-hmm. rid of Doug's on give him – and getting rid of Carson, basically saying we're going full rebuild. Yeah. Now he gets, like, the excuse to rebuild for two or three years. Which is and sad. Like, he's been with the team for – I think he's been a part of the front office since like the early 2000s, which blows my mind.
0: It, it really blows my like mind. Like if you, well. if you
1: actually go on like his, his page and see his first job with the Eagles, he started with the team in like 03, 04. And he's still here.
2: It might've been after role. 04.
1: It might've been like, oh but
2: he's been, um, here a yeah, long
1: he's, time. he's been here way longer than he has any right to be, which the, there's some type of, there's gotta be some, and I'm not, I'm not trying to be like conspiracy theory. Type <laughs> thing. It's just like, saying what i'm seeing like there's got to be something between him and jeff larry and
0: yeah, they have some type of understanding i'm with you uh,
1: yeah for him to for him to climb to the top the way he has and just seem to have immunity i mean what is he went through andy through chip this is his fourth head coach
0: and it's been the same thing with him i look at it and it's like and this is why like I'm how scared. many how many gms in the nfl get four head coaches in any sport get not a lot coaches. unless you have a proven track record of success and outside of this championship what success has he really had as a gym?
2: No,
1: I think as far as, like, the, about the, well, the point I was making before I went yeah. on this tangent was the Giants drafted really well this year. Great. Cowboys seem to get a steal in the draft every couple of years. Yep. Every year they seem to they, they get a good first-round pick who hits, mm-hmm. and then their, their secondary picks tend to be, like, decent enough that you don't uh-huh. really complain about it. The Redskins have been one of the best drafting teams – sorry, the Washington football team – have been one of the best drafting teams in the NFL mm-hmm. for like the past three years. Like, I get really into the draft. I like chronicle every team's pick. Oh, I The Redskins, or I keep saying the Redskins, the Washington <laughs> football team, Washington keeps ending up with like the best player available every time they pick. Like, the mm-hmm. way I build my board is I take big boards from like Jeremiah, from
2: yeah.
1: Tankathon, CBS, Pro Football Network, Pro Football Focus, like, Every big board I can find, I throw it all into a spreadsheet and I mm-hmm. average off all the players' rankings to kind of get like a consensus board. Mm-hmm. Washington doesn't miss. They always they always get a guy that fills their need. They always seem to get the guy who's like the riser before the draft. Like they got mm-hmm. Montez Sweat the year he took off right before the draft. Yeah, They got Jamin Davis this year and he's his stock was flying right before the draft. Like mm-hmm. they swoop it on these guys at the right time. And it's like Jamin Davis at 17 ain't really like don't feel like a stretch. You know, like maybe he comes in and he ends up making that pick work, and mm-hmm. <laughs> their, their defense is scary. It is, um, and then even bringing in Fitzpatrick for one year, I don't hate that because I mean the guys, you know, he's going to come in and throw the ball, and they're giving him things to throw to.
0: Exactly, Terry, scary Terry.
1: Well, you bring in Curtis Samuel. You already got Gibson, like it's a nasty little group. They they got options on that offense. I, personally, I think Washington might win that win the division. I think they're still the favorite. I think they've built. I think they've built the best team. I think they have the best coach. I Mm -hmm. think Ron Rivera did show last year that, you know, whatever fell apart in Carolina wasn't on him. I think their time just kind of ran out.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Same thing with Andy and Philly. Like Andy and Philly, his time was just up. He'd been here long enough. He did all he could do. He had to move on.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I think it's the same thing with Ron Rivera down in Washington, and I think he's he's got the pulse of that team in the right spot. Yes, you know. That's something to be said. I mean, I don't know how you feel. Like people, this is totally going off the wall, right? Here. Oh, we're good. <laughs> um, but like Dan Campbell out in Detroit, uh huh. People are ragging on him for that press conference about the kneecaps and all. Yeah, I guarantee you the players loved
0: that. I'm an athlete, and if my coach and and I had coaches that came out and that were nuts. But the inspiration that gives you, like, what people like, I, I think people that really don't know sports and, and you know aren't athletes, when they hear you know somebody say they'll run through a wall for their coach, they laugh and they say, "That's a real feeling." I want to, I, yeah. I want to run it into a Mack truck. I, one of my coaches gave me the most inspiration, inspirational speech before a big time game, homecoming game, and I, I wanted to run through the goalpost. And what he did was hella inspirational. Yeah. And
1: I mean, I saw because I, I, you know, I was watching like, the Pat McAfee show. McAfee yeah. was in love with the guy.
0: Oh, yeah. And for I good love-
1: reason, because oh. McAfee was a player. Exactly. You know, it's a different type of mindset. There's a reason Deuce Staley went from the Eagles to be on Dan Campbell's staff. And I wish he didn't have to leave us. Me too. I mean, look, I wanted to give him the job because I mm-hmm. think he's paid his dues and he earned that shot where the Eagles are at right now. They're not really like missing anything if they exactly. don't get the right coach. Because I really, I mean, I hope it works out. Nick Sirianni's here like four or five years from now. But like, odds are he probably won't be here four or five years from now. Mm-hmm. Just the way things are set up here, I don't think it's a situation that's going to really let him succeed unless he ends up being extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, but for Deuce to leave the situation here in Philly and to go to an arguably worse situation in Detroit to be mm-hmm. on Dan Campbell's staff, a first time head coach. And if I'm not mistaken, he never played with Dan Campbell either. Like, I don't think their careers ever crossed paths, because I think Dan Campbell played for Houston and New Orleans, mainly. I don't think they ever crossed paths in Philly or Pittsburgh where Deuce was at. So like it's not like it's a guy that he has prior history with that he gave a call to. Mm-hmm. So Deuce clearly was impressed, and Deuce is a former player. You look at that coach and stuff, it's a lot of former players out there in Detroit. Yeah. Um, and I, I remember when that first happened, I tweeted something. I forget what someone said back to me. It was basically saying, like, you don't, like, you don't think this guy's a clown? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, he might not end up getting wins, but he's going
0: to actually be the guy that changes the culture in Detroit. Exactly. Yeah, people don't understand how cause sometimes changing the culture for the first year or two could be more important than winning games. And you talk about good draft classes. Detroit knocked the draft out of the park this year. They did.
1: They definitely did. But that's what I'm kind of saying is, like, you get a guy like Ron Rivera, who's an old-school guy, like, that still plays. Like, guys still respond mm-hmm. to
0: that. Yes, they do. You
1: know, everybody wants a Sean McVay. It's like, I guarantee you, like, the guys on the... Like, Aaron Donald's probably tired of hearing about Sean McVay. hmm He probably sits in the film room or something and hears Sean McVay go on his X's and O's talks, and he's probably bored to tears.
2: <laughs>
1: like, and that's not, in like, a derogatory way. It's just, like... Uh-huh. The, You know, some guys they they don't wanna
2: you have to be able to go
1: and look at the film and know your playbook and things like that, but there's another part to the game. There is that character. Like there's a reason we remember like the Legion of Boom, or we remember guys like you know, like Deion Sanders or Randy Moss or T O because there's a certain swagger you have to have that takes you from good to great. Mm -hmm. And like I I do think a lot of that can start with your coach. You know, I think emotion is a big part of the game. You know, you get a robotic-type coach, I don't think it works out. You get an emotional coach, I think it – and that's what Doug was so good at. Doug knew how to control the room. He, I don't yeah. think Doug – I think Doug drew up some good plays, but I don't think he's necessarily great X's and O's guy.
0: Oh, I hated him for that this year. That's the main I, reason why I'm going – I wanted him going. his X's and his O's were terrible this year, but, but yeah, I'm he saying he's that, not the worst. Like, I,
1: think, I think he's going to be – I think he's always going to be a better head coach than he will be an offensive coordinator. Yeah, 100%, 100%. That's what he's good at is managing the room. Now he should have took a back seat and kind of let his coaches coach a little more than he did. <laughs> yeah. But that's, that's Doug's biggest strength. And there's a lot of guys like that around the league. I think Ron Rivera is one of them mm-hmm. who he knows how to let his coaches just do their job.
2: And he just and I think, that that's, I think
1: that's what Dan Campbell is going to be doing out in Detroit is let his coaches coach and just be that head coach and that voice. Yeah, exactly. And that's, That's, I mean, I think that's why everything shifted so quick when Chip left and Doug came in because Chip Mm -hmm. was, he wasn't as, he was way more condescending than (laughs) McVeigh. Yeah. McVeigh's actually like a really polite guy about it, but he's, yeah, he's a nerd. Like it is what he is. Yeah. You know, the guy loves football, but the way he talks about it isn't a way that hypes anybody up. Mm -hmm. You know, people on like ESPN think it's funny to get a clip of him remembering a play from three years ago, but, like, I guarantee you, his offensive tackle doesn't give a shit. So, like, uh, that's just, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to do I know we talked about it beforehand. I'm trying to temper myself a I'm little not, bit. We're good. We're good. Um, but I mean, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I do feel strongly about that. That there's a lot to be said for an old school type of guy. Like, I don't know if you, if you track hockey at all. But John Tortorella in the NHL, a lot of guys kind of want John Tortorella out of the game. But he's an old school coach. He yells at guys. You know, he gets fired up. He says what's on his mind. And every time he goes to a new team, they always turn around. They always end up in the playoffs. They always end up doing big things or doing more than they're supposed to do. Like, you do need that person to kind of be the gas on the fire sometimes.
0: Like experience you know, and then, sometimes, too. People underestimate that. They don't look how smart somebody is. But now I understand that you got a lot of experience. And you know what you're doing. And the way you're doing Man. it, you got to get credit for that. And a lot of people, you know, they're back and forth, like you were saying. But we talk about, you know, Ron Vera and those type of coaches. They're successful for a reason. They're wanted for a
1: reason. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys who, like, look at a Matt Patricia, like, he tried too hard to be that football guy. Yeah. And he lost his team because of it. Because, like, there is that balance. And that's what I'm saying Doug was so good at. Was mm-hmm. He knew when to push the button. He knew when to call someone out. He knew when to give someone a hug or put his arm around them. Yeah, like Matt Patricia wanted to come in and just be like, you know, hard on people from the start about everything, not give anyone any credit. And that's not how it goes. Like you do need that give and take a little bit, but there's definitely an attitude side to it. So that's I think Nick Sirianni has that in him. I think he might be a little bit too much of a coddler. Yeah, I think he's going to be a little soft on players because I mean, I do believe the guy knows football inside and out.
2: I do too.
1: I hate hearing him talk like to the media. Because uh-huh. every time I hear him in a press conference, he just loses me. <laughs> you know, the, the rock, paper, scissors thing ahead of the draft, I was out. <laughs> uh, that, 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 that turned me off on him so bad <laughs> that he thought someone wanting to beat him in rock, paper, scissors was going to matter if they were going to be a good player or not. Um, but. You know, you see him talk like when he. what was the one press conference you had where they started talking about receivers and he got all excited and stuff like that. Like, I think people want to see that. I think the guys playing for him respect that. Yeah. Um, now, he's got a lot to prove this year. So I do like the coach and staff they've put together. Me too. I, I think they him. brought in a lot of the right people, a lot of guys that have things to prove and a lot of guys that have already proven enough to show that they can keep on doing it. Um, so I, I do think it's going to be a fun year to watch how guys develop, like you were saying, to bring it back to where we started at. Um, but yeah, my expectations for the season aren't high. I'm I'm hoping they exceed my expectations because you know it's always nice to win. But for me, this is going to be a year just kind of let's see how we look week
0: one, let's see how we look in week 17 or week 18, whatever it is this year. And I have to work on that myself personally because I get so invested with the Eagles and I look at them and I have to try not to be so optimistic. And like I was saying earlier, I look at the division. It's like you know the Washington for me are the favorites, but everybody else. And even once, you could say everybody in the division has some question marks. And I like Nick Sarayani. I like what he did with the Colts. I love our OC from the Chargers. You know, and I like what we did in the draft, adding some depth in our offensive line. And a lot of people, you know, they want to blame Wentz. It's fine. But we did have 14 different starting lineups, offensive lineups, uh, offensive line units in 16 games, which is unheard yeah. of. So I think, you know, with that, with, with bringing in Devontae Smith, I don't want to have high expectations. I like how you said it, and I need to adapt this where I have no expectations. But I do feel like we're, we should be better than last season. And I do feel like we do have a chance to make the playoffs. But I'm not going to be totally devastated if we end up going 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and just missing the playoffs. As long as we improve, especially our young guys, right? as long as our young guys and I see improvement from them, for me, that's a win-win season, and as long as Carson went to those Colts to do fine, so we get three first-round picks, and you know we're going to we're going to talk about one day how bad of a drafter he is, but I hope I hope he doesn't mess up three first-round picks. That's tough to mess up three first-round picks. Yeah, right. I think they made a big mis-
1: They made a big mistake letting uh, what's his name, John Dorsey leave.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like they had him as an advisor. they should have hired him as an assistant or something immediately. Because mm-hmm. that guy knows how to make his picks exactly and he's done it he's done it everywhere he's gone um yeah i mean like i said i'm a Suns fan outside yeah. of the sixers in the nba i'm a browns fan outside of the eagles and football and that, uh-huh. that's just like some weird thing from being a kid and playing like nfl 2k4 and like i said that habit i have if i like to like rebuild teams in every video game i play yeah well, every single year the Browns were the worst team, so I was always rebuilding the Browns. So I mm-hmm. just kind of like over time learned the team inside and out, and ended up watching them and rooting for them outside of the Eagles. The Eagles are always number one. Mm-hmm. But, uh, so, like watching what John Dorsey did with the Browns and how he kind of he fixed the team nobody could fix
2: Ooh, by drafting did he?
1: smart, you know. And that was a guy that when I heard he was kind of talking to the Eagles, I was like, they they better not met. like don't even <laughs> like don't play hard to get with this guy. Go get him. Because I think he's proven himself enough that he knows how to spot talent. Um, and how are we losing like the Jets draft this year. Yeah, I love the Jets draft this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't necessarily love our draft. I don't think our draft was bad.
0: It wasn't, and I'm with you on that. It wasn't the best. I, mean, I think I don't. I'm not giving him credit for that Devonte Smith pick because that's a no-brainer.
1: Okay. Any well, that's the thing. If he didn't make that pick, that would have been a serious issue because that one was.
0: Oh, I would have protested. I was I would have protested until he got fired. So he he made that pick, and I think people are like giving him credit. And I mean, it is how we. So I guess we have to give him credit for because he always passes up on receivers. Now that I think about, it, he always I, I passes took, up on
1: receiver. I took issue with the Landon Dickerson pick.
0: Yeah, and, I, I, and, and I, I I was back and forth with that. I'm with you though. So
1: I get the upside of the pick, but I, he had three knee, three knee or three ankle surgeries in four and that's, years that Alabama. That's tougher,
0: don't lie. And That's tough. And he's
1: already—he's six, six. Like he's a big boy. Uh huh. You know, it isn't like he's just had like someone rolled up on him. Like he's that ain't going to get better with age. Yeah. Like he—he he might come in and be great, but he ain't going to have a long window. I don't think. Yeah, he's definitely um, not going to have a long career. I hope and, he like, does. I, and, and I feel bad saying it because everything like he seems like a great kid, like great uh-huh. guy. You know, seems like he says all the right things, does all the right things, treats mm-hmm. everyone right. Like he's apparently he's a great locker room guy, they're all saying it too. It's like he checks a lot of boxes, but like
0: mm-hmm.
1: I wanted a Wusu Coromela from yeah. Notre Dame. I I can't believe this team just doesn't take linebackers every <laughs> year. I'm, I'm
0: with the, that that is one of the biggest holes on our roster for years. Is that linebacker spot?
1: Yeah, it's like it's bad we, really, we really haven't had a consistent good linebacker since end of career. D'Amico Ryan, <laughs> yeah, like that was D'Amico at 35, it wasn't mm-hmm. even D'Amico in his prime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Jordan Hicks, I liked, I liked Jordan Hicks a lot, but he just couldn't stay on the field, exactly. So it's, I, I'm not, that's why I said consistent because that's the key word there. Like, if you know, you can't do nothing if you're not out there. And then these makeshift things, th- trying to throw Nate Gary out there last year as a linebacker. I want I want him going. Um, I want him taking, going. Taking Davion Taylor in the third round, and then him not playing a defensive snap all season. That confused like the, a that, lot that's of the things that Howie keeps doing wrong, and mm-hmm. it feels like Landon Dickerson's the same thing. Two years in a row, we used a second round pick
0: for a backup. Exact. <laughs> you couldn't say it, I couldn't say it better myself. You know, I, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay. You know, the upsides, you know, he could be a guy that can float from center to guard with injuries. He could possibly take over for Kelsey when he retires because who knows how long he's going to be here. But like you said, man, those injuries are just a, a huge negative that you just can't look away from. No, like I, I get the upside of the pick. I just felt like there was there was a bad, bigger was hole. There was yes. there was a starter ready player at a position you needed a starter. You not listen, again, I couldn't say it better myself. That's why I wanted as well. Like you, like yeah. we said, man, that linebacker spot is just a huge question mark for the Eagles. Now, as
1: happy as I was when they made the
0: move to get Devontae, I could not believe they they didn't take Karamo there. Yeah, like everything after Devontae for me was like you said earlier, it was an average draft. It didn't wow me. That's why I, it's, I it's get scared. It's a error, lot of guys who.
1: It's a lot of guys who can kind of flash. It feels like it's a lot of like Josh Sweat type picks, like Google uh-huh. Bus type guys. Yeah. Like, Zach McPherson is either going to be a really good nickel corner for a long time, or he, we're mm-hmm. never going to hear from him after this year. Exactly. It's what, like, and a lot of the guys are like that. Um, mm-hmm. Patrick Johnson from Tulane. Like, he's mm-hmm. been a good edge rusher in his career there, but is he Is he Excellent just guy. another uh I'm trying to think of the name. There was someone in the draft I loved a couple of years ago. Louisiana Tech. Not the one we got. There was someone played Louisiana Tech like two years ago or two, two one or two drafts ago. I think the Ravens got him. I thought he was going to be a stud. I haven't heard a word from him since. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, that's the risk you take with those, like, Sunbelt guys and those, like, smaller conference guys. Is you don't really know – you don't know how good they really are because of who they're playing against. Like, mm-hmm. And it was kind of played out to, like, oh, Alabama put so many guys in the draft, and aside from, like, the receivers, none of them are really stars. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but they're all still good players. Exactly. You know, like, maybe – uh trying to think of some of the names like like Dylan Moses will probably end up being a decent linebacker his whole career will never mm-hmm. be a name that anyone remembers but like he's going to have a long NFL career long solid career you no know, and you look like a ha ha Clinton Dix like
2: Another guy. he plays
1: for a new team every year but he's a starting mm-hmm. safety everywhere he goes Exactly. you know it's like he might not be a superstar but they're good players so there's something to be said for taking those guys from the power of five conferences like the Jacoby Stevens pick, I'm an LSU fan anyway. But the Jacoby Stevens pick, I do like that because I think when you're getting to the later parts of the draft, I don't even fault them. You're looking for those diamonds in the rough or you're looking for those guys that can at least come in and be serviceable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So the serviceable guys, you should be looking power five, like Michigan, Ohio State's, LSUs, Alabama's, those type <laughs> of schools. Yeah. And then, you know, like I said, Zach McPherson, a lot of people are high on. Um, I've seen a lot of good reports on him but there's a lot of question marks just because of his sample size yeah so we'll see what happens i mean i'm just the Devontae smith pick i'm happy about i'm excited to watch jalen hurts with smith with rieger um i'm hoping and i i thought it was going to be the case until we signed like three different running backs this all season yeah uh, i thought i, I know where was, you're going i thought he was finally going to get the chance to just run free Me too. And they brought in a lot of competition, and now I don't really know what the plan is.
0: And I don't understand why. Yeah, I mean, you'd want to have depth behind them, but... But Too much depth. And he's, for me, before we wrap it up, because we got a couple more minutes for me, like, you know, the one question I was going to ask was the breakout guy. For me, I think it was going to be Sanders, only because the little bit of carries he has, he always reduces. And even though he had a bad receiving year last year, I feel like this year, everything, the stars are going to line for him. The fact that we run all these running backs. Um, I like, I like. don't get me wrong, I like a big running back room with depth at the uh, running back position. But you need to know who your guy is and let him work. And I just hope we let Miles Sanders work this
1: year. Well, now you're looking at what? You got Boston Scott still here. You bring in Gainwell. You bring in on Johnson.
0: And we still got Jordan Howard.
1: Yeah, like that's, it's crowded. It is. Um, And there's a lot of guys that are going to demand carries one exactly. way or another. Exactly. Um, a lot of guys that are all different types of situation backs. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, that's, that's, you can fault that on Doug a little bit too, for Miles Sanders not being viewed that way by other coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he, this is a guy that if we all see it, like he's doing the numbers he's putting up on like 14 carries a game. Oh like, man. Okay. Like, like give him talk about an hour of how dominant he could be. If he got the right amount of carries, yeah, give him, give him 20 to 30 touches a game. And it's a totally different offense um and it's a lot of just like people some people overthinking the game it's you know i, I kind of keep coming back to it, and i guess it's probably just in the way my dad taught the game to me from like watching with him growing up mm-hmm. but like i still believe the best running game is you get a power i get a fullback and just clear the way like mm-hmm. i still believe fullback should be, i i have a personal argument like if you look at the super bowl every year one of the teams always has a fullback mm-hmm. if you look at the last few one of the teams, if not both, always have a fullback. Yeah. Which is something I've been catching on to that cracks me up that you don't see every team using one anymore. You know, I get it. They're saying it's not as, like, versatile of a player, but, like. You still need it at certain times. Look, if you have a running back that's special, why not put another guy to block for him? Like, if you have have a guy that you know when he gets in the open field you want to be gone or going to make everyone miss – why not ensure he's going to get to the open field? Like, that's that's what the fullback's going to do.
2: I feel like we haven't had a fullback
1: in a long time. Uh, not since. I mean, we had one after Leonard Weaver, but Leonard uh-huh. Weaver was the last good one. And then after the
0: Leonard Weaver injury year, they kind of got away from it. I say this, though, but before we wrap it up, I do think we're going to run the ball a lot or I don't want to say a lot, but it's more than we did last year, looking at the two previous coaches and what they did, you know, what the Colts did and what the Chargers did. I look at our running back room. I do think, especially with Jalen Hurts being as mobile, I do think we run a little bit more. I do think passes is always going to be an option, but I think we are going to, I, I hope, again, no expectation. I mean, let me keep saying that. I just hope that we utilize our running backs regularly, especially Miles long
1: no, I, I felt, that's why I felt like Miles gonna have a big year because of that record that Steichen and Sirianni have where they've been at
0: mm-hmm. as
1: guys who do run the ball and believe in splitting like 30-run, 30 30-pass, 30 that type of offense. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see kind of a hybrid, you know, pro-style, pro college-style offense. Yeah. I think they're really going to play into, uh, into what Jalen Hurts can do with his mobility. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to try to get him on the move a lot, a lot of bootlegs, a lot of options.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and then I think they're going to kind of predicate on getting the ball down the field. I think they're going to actually let Rieger and Smith use their legs, either with the screen game, Mm -hmm. um, you know, or getting them out in corner routes, post routes, those kinds of things. Getting them down the field, stretching out the defense, because they're going to have – those two are going to be able to stretch it out. You still got Watkins and Hightower who can stretch the field out. Uh Like, they're not short on speed. They're not short on guys that can make the defense stay So. I think that's where balance and the runs really going to come into play is, you know, I think that's why they have so many running backs. Like you were just saying, mm-hmm. they're going to, they're going to be, I think they're probably going to be more run heavy than pass between the carries hurts is going to get mm-hmm. and between feeding all the running backs.
0: And that I doesn't bother probably, me at all. That doesn't bother me be, at all.
1: I think we'll be like 60, 40 run to pass. I'm fine but with, that. what that's going to end up doing is you're going to end up seeing, you know, the defense compress and then mm-hmm. a Smith or a Rieger get the ball. You know they're running a ten yard route, but now that ten yard route where they get the ball at, the safety's playing five yards up, so they get the ball, they're already gone. Mm -hmm. You know it's it's going to open up a lot of things that we didn't see last year. Last year's offense was terrible. It was like the last year. It was it was was like the last year at Chip Kelly. Like everyone knew what was coming, even us watching at home.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's like I don't claim to be someone that like I don't watch a lot of film. I'm I kind of watch the game and. I understand like the philosophies of what you're trying to do strategically, but I couldn't tell you like, oh, they're running this set. They're running that set. I don't know what that deep,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it was the, the last year of Chip Kelly. Like you knew exactly what play was coming every time you knew Deshaun Jackson was going to catch the screen and they were going to snuff it out. And it was like that last year. Like I, if I never see another tight end screen again, I'll be
2: happy.
1: <laughs> the amount oh, of tight yeah. end screens, Doug Peterson ran, like with two tight ends that that is not their game. hmm like, if maybe if you had a Travis Kelsier, like a Darren Waller type, I could see it, but Zach Ertz ain't a breakaway guy. And nope. Dallas Goddard's like, you want to get Dallas Goddard over the middle to punish somebody.
0: You don't want yeah. him to get
1: the ball right where the linebacker can grab him.
0: Definitely with you on that. But that that's a wrap for today's episode. I just want to thank you again for joining me. It was great. We definitely got to do another one. Please tell everybody again where they can find you at.
1: Uh, you can find me myself on Twitter at Jesse Larch, J E S S E L A R C H, and you can find by uh, podcast, uh, the pod, the Twitter for our podcast at Garbage Into Gold, just like it sounds. You know, all Sixers all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, covering some other NBA stuff, we'll be having some draft stuff coming up once now the Sixers are out. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a couple of guests we'd like to have on to kind of talk draft for us. We had Matt Bodcock from uh, CBS last year come on with us. Mm-hmm. Gave us a lot of good insight ahead of the draft, so. We'll be
0: having that coming in the pipeline definitely looking forward to it again thank you for joining me we definitely have to do you know this again and that's a wrap for today's episode everybody have a great rest of the day and peace out thank you all for listening that's a wrap for this episode i really appreciate the support and all the love all the links to the different platforms I'm on is in the description down below. My Instagram, just in case you just want to put it in now, is sportsw__chris, sportsw__chris. My Twitter is the same thing, sportsw__chris. Make sure you follow me on my social so we can interact. I post a lot of content every single day. I'm asking, you know, all my followers' questions every single day, trying to hear your input, you know, trying to just interact, trying to talk about sports. But again, thank you all for the support, man. I love it. I appreciate it. I wouldn't be doing this if I wasn't getting all the support. Make sure you follow me so we can interact and maybe make an episode together. Have a good rest of the day and peace out.